I don't think um, non-Indigenous uh, people really understood what happened. You're listening to the Upward Momentum Podcast, the monthly podcast where we share the inspiring stories of individuals who have faced life challenges and are finding upward momentum. Uh, Aboriginal or uh, First Nation woman in the Air Force. From unemployment to cancer and terminal illnesses, and remembering, at the end of the day, it's all just a matter of perspective. I'm your host, Matt Nelson. And on this special Day of Reconciliation episode, I sit down with a former colleague of mine, Lori Shaw, Grey Eyes, to talk about her story of growing up, residential schools, resilience, and an incredible story of the Pope's visit to Canada. And she uh, as a residential school survivor. Well, many of us may never be able to relate the challenges of First Nations people have faced. There's much to learn on this journey together, and this is just the beginning. They're, they're a human being, and they need to be treated as a human being. Get ready, because it all starts now. So, Laurie Shaw, I'm from Muskeg Lake Cree Nation. <clears throat> I live in Calgary, but uh, my band is about an hour north. Our reserve is about an hour north of Saskatchewan, <clears throat> or excuse me, of Saskatoon. And... Um, Really, that's my people. So we are Cree, First Nation. Um, we have about 2,000 in our community. Um, we have about 400 that live off on reserve and about uh, 1,600 that live off reserve. So in Saskatchewan, in um, uh, predominantly in Alberta and Saskatchewan, and then all across this, some in the states and some in other provinces. So we're a widespread uh, band and uh, members of Muskeg Lake Cree Nation. I have I've been in Calgary for uh, 28 years. Was born and raised in Edmonton. Um, I spend majority of my life in telecom and IT, and I continue to to work in IT and um, practice in IT. Uh, my mother is First Nation uh, from Muskeg Lake Cree Nation. Her uh, she's a Grey Eyes, um, and she as uh, a re- residential uh, school survivor. Um, my my father. Uh, Caucasian, so he's Scottish, so I have the last name of Shaw, and um, I actually follow both Grey Eyes and Shaw as my last name. Okay, you mentioned Grey Eyes. I'm I'm curious to know a little bit more about that. So Grey Eyes is, uh, you know, when when we look at the the background of Grey Eyes, it's my understanding that um, our band originally our members came from um, the states, I believe, from Montana. And uh, we actually had um, a family member, you know, probably 100, 150 years ago that actually was a trapper for a um, gentleman. And he, the gentleman's last name was Steele, but the actual, um, the actual band member or our ancestors um, was basically didn't have a name at the time, right? Just um, so when, when he came into Canada, he basically had, um, this was my understanding, a child out of wedlock and the, the child had gray eyes. So that band member, this is years and years ago, mm-hmm. that that um, ancestor uh, became gray eyes with the, with the uh, white man's last name, which was Steele. So when they came into Saskatchewan and they started, you know, they started the um, to work the land um, to actually, you know, for their specific reserve. This is before we're, we're talking, you know, 18, 1800s, early 1800s came in to both in Alberta, but mostly Saskatchewan. 
Yeah, so that's that's where the name came from. And it's quite interesting because if you go to our um, our reserve, you'll see different. You'll see blondes, you'll see uh, blue eyes. My sons both have gray eyes. And they actually, it's the mixture of both brown eyes and um, blue eyes. Yeah. And they're very, like, we actually have uh, one of our cousins, a very known actor, his name is Michael Gray Eyes. And he's been in many, many different films. If you actually look him up, uh, he's been in probably 100 films wow. over his, over his uh, lifetime. And he also was a member of the um, National Ballet of Canada. So a lot of our, our members, I'll be honest with you, um, my mom is Gray Eyes. My Aunt Mary Breed Gray Eyes, uh, I just want to talk about her for a second here. Mm -hmm. She is actually the very first uh, Aboriginal or uh, First Nation a woman in the Air Force. Uh, Mary Gray Eyes, if you actually look her up in, uh, in the background, she actually went to um, London and actually met with the Queen and her father, George, uh, George VI. Um, and was recognized for her contributions in, in the Air Force, in the Canadian Air Force. And her brother was probably the second most decorated um, member of the Air Force in Canada. Um, his name um, was David. He actually, David Gray Eyes at Steel. He actually went with uh, Gray Eyes Steel. And there's actually a street in Sask Saskatoon that actually is named Gray Eyes Steel. Yeah. So we've had, we've had probably four members of our um, specific um, band or in our reserve that actually have the, um, the what is it the honor of Canada like the mm -hmm. yeah so and another one um, Frida Henneke actually developed the uh, Cree dictionary so and she actually has a um, a library named after her in Saskatoon so for me I'm very very proud of my people I'm very proud of our heritage I'm very proud of uh, my reserve and we continue to do uh, very, very good work on um, being recognized. So we actually went to the Supreme Court around self-governance of our, our children not going outside of our reserve for foster care. And so we have a system internally where we bring those, those children in to different homes and we keep them within our community. So uh, we, we fought and we won um, all the way to the Supreme Court. And that's that specific practice has been implemented all across Canada. Wow. Yeah. And I want to dig into that for a minute because naturally, I mean, there's got to be some some important aspects to that and sort of keeping people within, um, I guess, would you call it the tribe then or? Yeah, within absolutely. The, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So like, let's talk a little bit about that. Like kind of what, maybe a little bit more in terms of what, what happens within these reserves and, and the importance of maintaining that culture. So um, I'll be honest with you in like, I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm going to go back to 1885, where we had the Northwest Rebellion um, at Batoche with um, Louis Riel. Louis Riel fought for the rights of First Nation people, Métis people, and uh, having our rights and our land not being taken away. Um, and my grandfather, Napoleon Lafond, um, my grandmother's side, or my mother's side, he's fought side by side with him with 14 different um, ban bands in Saskatchewan to fight for the rights of Cree and uh, Métis people. And so at that time, you know that Lou Riel, he didn't just speak for the Métis people, he spoke for all Indigenous in Canada and um, the unjust that was happening 
Um, and things like uh, our land being taken away and given back to, um, you know, um, to to the you know white settlers. Um, so, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but again, our family has been proud of our heritage. We've been trying to instill um, our heritage and our traditions for hundreds of years. Um, we've stood up uh, for our people and our traditions, and we continue to do that. Even though, you know, what's, in 1885, if you remember, it's the start of residential schools, right? Um, I don't think um, non-Indigenous uh, people really understood what happened. Um, there was no option not to go to school. If you were an Indigenous child between 5 and 16, you went to school. Um, you were taken away from your parents and you were instilled in this, in these, these schools across Canada, um, were taught, um, you know, uh, Roman Catholic. You were all Roman Catholic. You all went through a baptism. You all went through uh, the process from the Catholic um, Church. Uh, you weren't allowed to speak your language, Cree, or what other, what other language you had across Canada. Um, and they separated the girls from the boys. So the brothers couldn't see the sisters. The sisters saw each other. Uh, everyone was given a number. Uh, so and in many times, if they couldn't speak English, they were they were. My mother's number was 340. She went to Duck Lake in Saskatchewan. And um, some some people were just you know, they they weren't even called by their first name. They were just called by their number. So uh, they did learn um, Roman Catholic religion. Uh, they did. They did learn, you know, day-to-day, um, -day, obviously English, some French, um, and they they learned, you know, how to, I guess, um, be instilled into a white men's society and, you know, to try and adapt from where they were from traditions. Um, and it went on for a hundred years. People don't realize that. We're not talking about a few years. We're talking about 1885 to 1995 was the last first our residential school closed right and um we lost a lot of our, our our little brothers and sisters um during that time frame and it's been hard it's been hard on our people it's been hard on our families um what you know and i i need you guys to understand that when you see that you know aboriginal man on the street or you see a um, first nation uh, person or indigenous on the street they have a story to tell. It's not, you know, they've, you know, they might have had parents that were, you know, went through alcoholism or some issues because they were not provided parenting skills. They were not provided the correct skills from their parents in order to become, you know, fluent as a parent. They, and then they had memories that they had to wipe out because that's how they were taught from six until 16 even longer, right? So remember, everybody's got a story. I'm the next generation, so I'm the third generation. Um, did I go through issues? Absolutely. Was my childhood fun? No, it wasn't. My mother was an alcoholic. She um, she beat us. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a fun childhood as as a, you know as a little girl. And um, the only if there was anything good about it is. I was brought up um, urban. I wasn't brought up in the reserve, so I didn't see everything. Mm -hmm. But um, I also, I wasn't brought up in my tradition, which I'm I'm learning as an adult. I'm learning my tradition. I'm learning my skills. 
I'm learning how to speak Cree. I'm learning how to interact with the elders. Yeah, there's a lot of history that uh, it's painstaking for me to go through, but I spend every day trying to help my people every single day because that's what you do. Not an elder yet, but I'll be I'll be an elder and um, I try to help them as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing. That's uh, that's some pretty powerful um, stories there. So a couple things I'm I'm sort of wanting to, to to talk about here is, you know, having having gone through those struggles, how how have you been able to sort of I guess it's it's cope or, or move on or, or sort of get get through those challenges as a childhood. Like, what sort of things were you were you able to to find? So, to be honest with you, as a child, I didn't see me as any different than anybody that I went to school with. I had dark hair, dark eyes. And my last name was Shaw. I, I wasn't brought up in traditional ways, but um, people would ask, "What's your background?" And as a young child, I was in school, kids are very mean, right? Mm -hmm. They called me Shaw the Squaw. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know, you know, I have, you know, I look like you. I can do the same things as you and some things I can do even better. I was very excelled at sports, excelled at school. I just didn't understand as a child how it was any different than what they were other than mm -hmm. the color of my skin. Um, but even growing up and going into, you know, becoming an adult, um, I didn't want to raise my kids the same way I was raised. And I made very certain I was a young, a young mother at 18 and I raised my son. Sure. We didn't have lots, but he went to school. He, you know, he had a roof over his head. He had food. He went to sports. He didn't, he didn't need for anything, right. He didn't need for anything. And then I spent, you know, my time being educated, moving up in the industry, moving up in TELUS, and, 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 you know, being the support for my children and, and my mother when, you know, she did quit drinking and I've always been there for her, always made sure like she was part of our life and part of, um, part of our family unit. Um, our, our, our kids, there was five of us. We all were raised and under the same roof as my, my mother. And we all went through the same stuff and we're very, very close. We keep a very tight community uh, and we keep our children very close. And uh, how did we survive? Through love, through love. Yeah, yeah. And I continue to um, drive that with my children and, and closeness. No mm -hmm. great, no grandchildren yet, but they'll come. <laughs> yeah. So another another thing, just um, sort of along those same lines about you know the the family unit and stuff. And I just want to talk a little bit about traditions and the importance of traditions and you know, with, with your, your culture and whatnot, what that sort of means to you and, and what, what does that look like? Yeah. High, high, uh, top of our uh, hierarchy is our elders. Our elders are our knowledge keepers. Our elders are the ones that uh, share their wisdom uh, with, you know, the young babies all the way through to the adults. And they're the ones that have gone through the struggles. They're the ones that basically will teach us, you know, um, how how smudging is important. Smudging is um, basically what we use to uh, keep us healthy, to keep us safe, and to keep our traditions instilled. We use uh, we use it for wisdom to get real, uh, really, really get rid of any evil that's around us, and we do that traditionally and a lot of our ceremonies along with sweat lodges. But our elders are 
are really our strength, right? They live in our communities. We usually have households that'll have the children, the parents, and the elders all living within one unit. It was very hard. I'll talk about that in a few minutes with regards to COVID. But again, we try and keep that unit tight where our elders will take care of the, the children while the parents are at, you know, at work um, or you know, the older ones are at school. And they they teach the little ones around, you know, what happened with our people and how, how it keeps us strong. We still have um, you know, our tradition of hunting every year. We basically bring out the the children, um, uh, the boys that are 10 years or older, we teach them how to hunt. And um, that's kept, you know, along with, you know, tanning the hides and keeping that, you know, the hides are used for our drums. Um, and our drums are used within within our traditions of singing um, and a lot within our powwows, right? So it's really important to learn our traditions, our dance, um, the food that we eat, and uh, to keep within a family unit. You know, it's really important for us to keep that instilled. And we've kept that for hundreds of years, even you know, when it was tried to be broken with residential schools, when the kids did come back. They worked the land, they helped their parents, and they kept these traditions instilled for hundreds of years. And we will continue. We'll continue to keep that within our family unit. Now, um, just going back to sort of the residential schools again, just why do you think that ever became a thought in the first place? Uh, it was actually implemented by Johnny McDonald. They wanted to take the, uh, yeah, the Indian out of us. They wanted us to basically integrate uh, into their colony. Um, they basically, they didn't understand that, you know, we had our own traditions. We we were very calm and proud people. We didn't drink. We basically uh, didn't have guns. We lived off the land. We lived off the, the what creator gave us, which is our animals and, and Mother Earth, right? We're very peaceful people. We, you know, we fought amongst each other, different tribes, but, you know, we, we never, people need to understand or non-Indigenous, we never had alcohol. The, the alcohol was introduced us to us by the white settlers that came to Canada and trade for, for our, our, um, our tans, right? So, so they basically came and wanted to trade. It, and this started with uh, the Hudson Bay um, Company, right? That's how it was started. And uh, they traded guns. They traded alcohol um, at the time. And, you know, that we're talking about 1800s. We're talking about hundreds of years ago when it was instilled. So um, what happened is Johnny McDonald decided to create these residential schools to, like he said, take the savage out of us, which, you know, we didn't have savage. We were peaceful people. They didn't understand our traditions, didn't understand our language, and uh, tried to get us to convert over to the white settler way, right? Um, religion, um, you know, their traditions, what they did every day, because they thought that that was the way that people should live, which we know isn't right, right? You know, they tried to um, take it out of us, but it will never be taken out of us. Right. We live on Turtle Island, which is North America. There is a prophecy that, you know, seven generations ago um, that uh, that basically said seven generations, the white men will come under one roof. Everybody will be under one sacred tree. 
didn't matter your skin color, didn't matter your religion. We all came as one. And that seven generation is here today. And it's and people are understanding it's it's not the color of your skin or what you do or your denomination. We're all people of Mother Earth and we should love each other unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of with, with that in mind, you know, obviously we, we recently had just, you know, over the past few years, the um, the uncovering of the residential schools and the unmarked graves and everything, you know, obviously very, very sad. And then the, there's more recently the Pope's visit um, to Canada. Um, how has that sort of, how is that sort of being viewed within the community, would you say? Uh, so the Pope's visit was, um, so I just need you to, to understand and non-Indigenous, we've been trying to um, get Canada and our leaders to recognize what happened at residential schools. Number one, um, Truth and Reconciliation um, Committee uh, was developed and it really went nowhere over the last, uh, you know, five five years. Um, it, we've been trying, we've been going to uh, pilgrimages out to the Vatican for years. Uh, in, I, I'm going to talk in 2011, we had the very first First Nation um, member uh, canonized as a um, as a saint. Her name is Katera uh, Kateri Takakuitha, and she was basically the very first Nation saint. So we've been trying to uh, really get um, non-Indigenous to understand our ways and understand our people. But the Pope uh, is the highest highest level of the Church of the Catholic Church at the highest level. So um, Pope Francis. Um, there was a pilgrimage to meet Pope Francis and get him to understand, you know, how uh, how the Catholic uh, system has really um, hurt our people. Like the, uh, our members are very religious all across Canada. It doesn't matter if you're Dene, Blackfoot, um, um, excuse me, Cree, uh, Métis, very, very Catholic, very, very strong Catholics. Um, and believe in Jesus Christ. And still today, even after what has happened with residential school, our elders, um, their children, we still go to church. We go to church every Sunday, every Sunday. My mom goes to church every day, sometimes twice a day. She believes in the faith and she believes in God, right? God, our creator, which is Jesus Christ and the father. So even, that's you know one one of the thing that's really important to our people is our faith. Okay, so what we needed the Pope to understand is what happened to our people, what happened to our brothers and sisters, and what happened to the to the members that were were teaching us the fathers and the nuns every day. There's there's things that happened behind closed doors that uh, were not spoken, but are now coming to light um, that really hurt our people that moved them to alcoholism, drug abuse. Uh, in my specific family, I've had two uncles that uh, died of alcohol abuse. A lot of, I'm not saying everything, but a, a lot of the boys are affected more than the girls for sexual abuse, okay? They lost their lives because of it. Um, I, had, I, had a, I had an uncle that basically made it to the NHL. He made it to that level, but the alcoholism got the best of him and he didn't carry on, right? And uh, it really affected our lives. I'm going to talk personally about our lives. I've I've had family members that have lost their lives, 
um, because of residential schools and how it affected them today, right? So the Pope coming to Canada was starting the healing process. Forgiveness is the first step to healing, right? It doesn't matter if you're non-Indigenous or Indigenous, whatever happened in your life, forgiveness is the first step to healing. And having the Pope come saying, we're sorry, um, is the first step. And it was huge for our people. They're gonna, you're going to have percentage of people, uh, First Nation and Indigenous, that don't agree. Uh, don't agree with the Pope, you know, fully ask, uh, you know, giving them forgiveness. And that's, it's every individual's right to, to either forgive or not forgive. Mm -hmm. But I actually went to, with my mom, who's 90 years old, to the First Nation Church of Canada, Sacred Heart Church in uh, in Edmonton, and uh, took her, took her there. And I'll tell you, I said, Mom, you can't walk very well. I'm going to put you in a wheelchair. She's like, no, I can walk. And I'm like, no, I'm going to put you in a wheelchair, and we're going to get you right in the front. This church only holds 300 people. It's very, very small. I when I when We were a little bit late, so when we got there, um, we basically, there was only one spot left for wheelchairs, and it was right in front. It was like right dead center. So I said, Mom, this is meant to be. This is meant to be for you to be here in front of the Pope. And you're representing not just yourself, you're representing your family. You're representing everybody that's not here because they passed to the light. And so she stood, she was there, and she was there with all the other elders at the front that were in wheelchairs. And then the whole, like it was it was a very small, small church. I'd say there was probably 40 secret service that were there, you know, for the Pope. Brought him in in his little Pope mobile, which is like a little Fiat. Brought in, we had the drummers out front. That, um, and then he was brought right to the front and he spoke in, um, most people don't realize this, he's Spanish. He spoke in in uh, Spanish the whole and it was it was um translated um through the um to the monitors within the church and um earlier that day he had gone out to um Hubima so uh, um to basically provide um a healing uh, for the one of the largest residential schools in Canada um excuse me in Canada so it was out in Wetaskiwin and there was thousands and thousands of elders that actually were brought there. My mom was supposed to go there, but because of the trip and because of the hardness and from her health perspective, I didn't take her there. So that's where he provided the, um, you know, the healing. And he basically apologized for what went down uh, with residential schools. And then later in the day, he came to this uh, Sacred Heart Church. So at the very end, um, this is important to note that he actually... All the all the elders were brought to the front, the ones in the wheelchairs, and then he went to each specific elder that was at the front. I think there was about seven of them, and he provided a um, a token. So he he um, he provided them with uh, with um, a cross um, blessed by the church um, for each specific elder, and he handed them to him, and then. He didn't bless each one individually. And then he came to one lady, she was wearing a blue coat, and this was televised all across Canada and the world. And uh, she put her head down, and he touched her head, and he touched her face, and he blessed her. And then the whole church erupted. Um, 
because she was blessed by the Pope and she was given um, her cross, right? So I just need you to know that that was my mother that was blessed by the Pope. And for me, even to talk about it, like after, after he left, she came and she was glowing. Like my mother was glowing. And I said to mom, like, what did you say? And she said, I did the sign of the cross. And then I put my head down and I wanted him to pass not only my reserve, but all the family members that had passed to the light that weren't here today. And it was, it was so powerful. And my family was watching somewhere in Halifax. It tears me up. Um, because it, it was so powerful. It was so, that forgiveness was so powerful for my mother, my family, but all the people that were in the church and that were watching nationally. That yeah. healing. Yeah. Wow. So I want to touch a bit more on this healing. So you, you know, you talked about sort of the first steps of healing. So what, what do you feel needs to, to happen going forward? Uh, so I've been a healer all my life. I didn't realize I had this gift. I'm a spirit talker. So spirit talker means that they can talk to people that have passed to the light. And so people, um, you know, that are non-Indigenous, what does that mean to them? Well, if you know the Long Island medium, that uh, she's internationally known, I can do what she does. I can talk to people, full conversation that have passed to the light. But what I do, it I do it in a different way uh, for our First Nation and our elders. I basically let them understand that people have passed to the light. Um, if they have any type of message that they have to that person that is of the living, I converse that. And then I let them know that this is the start of the healing process uh, to first, you know, forgive anybody that they've done harm. Because remember, these elders, you know, they've had to take different things to cope in their life. You know, it could be drug abuse, it could be physical abuse, it could be uh, verbal abuse, and it could be um, it could be drugs, right? So they have to forgive themselves first, and then they have to forgive, you know, what they've done to to people in their family. That's really important to start the, and then if they're ready to heal the church, they can, but that healing goes with the seventh generation prophecy, which goes from that person's lifetime, three back and three forward. So that healing will not only affect their lifetime, but it'll affect their, their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and the next generation. So it's so powerful to be healing. So not only am I a spirit talker, I'm a healer. So I, I have Reiki healing, I'm a Reiki master, but I also bring in my traditional healing, my smudging, bring in my ancestors um, and a totem animals and into my healing practice so I've done that for you know you probably didn't even know that I did this and I, I work side by side with you um at Shaw is uh I'm continuing to do this until my last breath to help uh indigenous and non-indigenous uh, people to to start that healing process and it's it's very powerful because it just doesn't touch their lifetime it touches all future generations oh, thank you so with sort of all that in mind, there's you said a lot of really interesting things. Um, for somebody who's non-indigenous and, and maybe other people out there, how and where where can they learn more um, to really and learn more and support that healing process? That's kind of a bit of a two part. 
So, you know, one of the things they can come to me, um, my website is seventhgenhealing.ca uh, um, to learn a little about. Uh, so I'm going to start my own podcasts. And so my podcast will talk about, um, you know, a little bit about our traditions, about our elders. A lot of the things that I, I taught you today uh, will be uh, focusing on every every week. I'll have a podcast. We'll talk about elders, talk about smudging. It'll talk about our land. What, why are powwows important? You know, how do we how do we live off the land and talk a little bit about our history of First Nation people and Indigenous in Canada? Um, some of, you know, some of the um, things that non-Indigenous might not know. And also, you know, in every city, in every town, there is, there are reserves and they have, learn about our people, really understand, um, understand our people. A lot is online too. A lot is online that they can learn um, about Indigenous traditions. A lot is on YouTube around smudging, around um, around the uh, different traditional ways, of, um, the, the four winds. So, just take the time to learn, right? Um, but you, you, they're welcome to come and join me, and I'll share my podcast on LinkedIn, and I'll share them on my on my website. Yeah. And so one one of the key things is um, we don't know the background, but there is a really important holiday that's coming up, which is September thirtieth. Uh, please wear orange. Uh, it's not only to really support our people and support our truth and reconciliation, but also to really take that step to really understand. Wearing orange from one day doesn't mean that you understand. It just means that you're basically taking that first step to the understanding mm -hmm. and tradition and really understanding uh, what our people went through. Yeah. And actually, on that note, um, with, with the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation coming up on September 30th in Canada, what what sort of things do you think non-Indigenous people should be doing on that day? Or could be doing? Um, so what I'd like them to do is probably uh, pray for our brothers and sisters that have been lost. Um, and most most notably the 10 that were lost Um on uh, James Smith uh, Cree Nation. Um, I can talk about that in a few minutes, but, um, you know, there, and, and pray for the healing that, it, that is, you know, happening with our people. It, we've gone through some pretty hard times and, but we're strong, we're resilient people and we'll get, we're going to get through this together and we get through love and we get through the love of our people, our love of our land and love of our, our tradition. So, um, all I can say is if, if you can say a prayer, if you can wear an orange, don't don't just wear it for that one day. Wear it as a as, as a specific um, to recognize uh, that you are accepting um, to move and really learn about our people, really, really understand uh, what happened in our history and really support our healing. Right. I say when I we healing, we don't heal just as one as there are indigenous people. We heal as one nation, indigenous and non-indigenous. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. We are all we're all one. And, um, and now I'm going to shift. I'm going to talk a little bit about James Smith. Mm -hmm. so, um, in, in Saskatchewan, we have um, we basically have a lot of a lot of our Saskatchewan um, tribes and our reserves 
all interact. We interact as one. If we have one services that is offered to one band, we try and get it uh, uh, community-based. So example would be is if we're bringing in some type of health practice, we basically share it around all our communities in Saskatchewan and Alberta. So we can basically learn as, as one nation or learn as communities. Um, James Smith is a sister um, reserved to Muskeg Lake Cree Nation. Okay. And um, Muskeg Lake Cree Nation has, we have a lot of intermarriages between these reserves. So we lost, um, we lost Bonnie uh, Burns and her um, son, Gregory Burns. Um, and a the whole Burns family, um, a lot of them actually died based, based on, you know, the, the murders that happened um, a few weeks back. So Mark Arcand is our tribal chief. He's from Muskeg Lake Cree Nation, and it's his sister and, and nephew that were, were killed. So if you saw his uh, newsreel on CBC, he will talk about Muskeg Lake Cree Nation and how important James Smith uh, Sister Reserve was to uh, Muskeg Lake. They're less than 100 kilometers apart, like about 100 kilometers apart. So it doesn't matter um, about the reserves. It matters about our people. And it affected our people. And so um, our basically our chiefs are, are, are really working together to try and get the drugs uh, off our reserves. It, it's hard because it's brought in, right? And it affects mm -hmm. so much of, of our young ones. And it, if that's what happened with this specific incident. It was definitely drug related. Um, we're not sure exactly what went through the mind. Of, of the people that murdered uh, these innocent innocent uh, members, um, but it it doesn't affect just James Smith. It affected it affected all of our people, Indigenous, and, and I'd say some non-Indigenous, and it went all the way up to the Queen. So I'm not sure if you you run uh, one of the in the Queen's speech, she actually recognized the members that were lost at, at um, James Smith. Cree Nation and basically was putting in a speech to the throne as one of the specific items. So it went all the way up to the queen. So um, when we lose our people, we it's heartfelt among all of us. Um, I do want to tell you a quick story. A couple of days later, I went to Starbucks chapters in, in the Northwest. And I heard um, a young elderly couple talking about uh, this specific incident. And the lady um, basically was saying to her husband, well, you know, it's just Indians killing Indians. And she said it loud enough for me to hear, which is probably, you know, uh, something that she regrets. Because I basically said to her, I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a person killing another person. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. If it was, to be honest with you, if it was a white person, it'd probably be automatically, you know, international news. But because they were Indigenous, it was first regional and then Canada-wide. And then, you know, maybe maybe not really global, but if it was white, it would have gone global. So I, I made it very clear to her. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. It was an individual. And people that were just sitting in their homes sleeping, you know, what if it, what if it was your family, right? What if it was your family? You shouldn't look at it the color of their skin. You should look at it as an individual. And I said it loud enough that everybody in Starbucks heard. 
because I will stand up regardless of your color of your skin. Mm -hmm. If something is being done unjustly to you, I will have your back. Yeah. So I just want you to know that racism is still here today. I still see it. I, I worked for a large company a few years ago, WestJet, which is, you know, a global company that racism within their organization. I felt it. Um, I felt it in some of the Fortune 500 companies that uh, I worked in. And, it, and it's quite interesting because, um, you know, I worked with you uh, at Shaw and we don't say, hey, what's your background? You know, um, even people nowadays that I work with tell us at Shaw are like, you're Indigenous? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, you know, I don't talk about it every day. I'm very proud of who I am and my people. But, you know, most people, you know, thought that I was, um, you know, Spanish or Latin or something because of the color of my skin. But it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't mm -hmm. matter, right? So I just, you know, it's just coming to light because of what's coming with residential schools and what's happening you know, in Canada, it's now coming to light. But all I, I all want to say, it shouldn't matter the color of your skin. It should matter, um, you know, that we're all one under, you know, under that sacred tree on Turtle Island. So, yeah, I, I'm very proud of who I am and as an individual, as a proud, you know, Plains Cree. Um, and I'll continue to that practice. But um, don't judge me for the color of my skin. Judge me for who I am as a person. Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of on that note, I think, you know, you and I sort of talked a little bit about this is there's, that, I think, that common misconception, you know, we we talk about that, you know, that, for example, that lady that sees somebody as, oh, it's an Indigenous individual. And, you know, you go out and you, like we've said, people with, with drug and alcohol abuse problems, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very common thing that has said, you know, oh, just another person on the street um you know I think it goes back to a lot of what you said is that it's that misconception um and that idea of judgment everybody has a story don't mm -hmm. judge them for their story because it could go back you know to their parents or their grandparents everybody has a story right um I would say don't give them money you know number one don't give them money but you could give them food you can give them a bus ticket you can get them a coffee and maybe hear some of their story. Just take the time, but don't walk by. Don't walk by them. Acknowledge them as an individual and as a person on Mother Earth, right? Is the number one. Look at them in the eye and say, good morning, good afternoon. How are you, right? They're, they're a human being and they need to be treated as a human being. Yeah, and um, just one thing that sort of comes to my mind, um, I think for some people saying even just good morning sometime might be a bit of a concern, as you said, you know, some some concerns around if somebody's maybe high on drugs or something like that, there might be a little bit of a worry how this person might react. Yeah, understood, understood. But if they see that, then then they can walk around. Yeah, mm -hmm. if they if they see that there's influence, mm -hmm. absolutely. But, uh, you know, if they're sitting there holding a sign and a lot of them are just sitting there with their head down uh, and there's a cup or something in front of them, um, don't give them money. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying is because they'll be used for drugs. They'll be used for they'll be used for possibly alcohol. Right. Give them food. Mm -hmm. 
right? Give them food, give them a bus ticket because that gets gets them around. But um, the money is going to be used for, you know, their vent, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So then kind of on that note of sort of sort of helping and stuff, I, I would a couple things first, you know, what, what, what could people do more of? I mean, obviously, kindness, I think, is a key one here. Uh, but, but what else do you think would be beneficial and could support? Yeah, so we did say about September 30th, important mm -hmm. to wear orange that day and to really start the, um, the learning and the education of um, First Nation. Um, please support. There's going to be a lot of um, um, more residential children found. Um, we're doing our excavating of our own reserve, um, or excuse me, our, our own um, residential school over the next uh, few months. Um, please help us pray. For, for healing. That's number one. Please help us pray for our healing and our people. And uh, in your communities, um, every specific community will have some type of um, uh, community um, center set up. A lot of them are Indigenous. A lot of them will actually say um, Native Resource Centers. You have it at the University of Calgary. You have it at the Mount Royal uh, University. You can go there and get, get information. Um, every specific city across Canada has these outreach programs in the community. Uh, you can get pamphlets. You can get links to um, information about um, tradition. Uh, and a lot of it is on YouTube. So um, and those, there's a lot of events that are happening, right? There's a lot of events that you can actually get and you can you can march with us. Um, you know, um, murdering Indigenous women, that uh, that march is usually around Valentine's Day. If you want to march with us, we recognize our sisters um, and they're continuing to be found. So the biggest one is really to uh, understand um, we need prayer. We need mm -hmm. prayer. We need healing. That's that's really important. And then what about um, if somebody, a non-Indigenous individual, wanted to visit a reserve? Would that be something that would be acceptable? Or um, The only way that they could is if they uh, if they know somebody. Because they're very, um, like even powwows. So just to let you know, powwows are, are our annual uh, celebration of our people mm -hmm. in, in our specific tribes and in our reserve. And to be, to be um, accepted at a powwow, um, you you have to be invited, number one. Um, and number two is to be invited is highest honor. It's very, very high honor to be actually asked to come to our powwow. This year, I did actually ask a couple friends to come. And they, it's, it's the whole, the the sound of, uh, it's, it's like a, a heartbeat. And everybody dancing in unison, all the way from little babies to our elders, we have our, our chiefs there. We have our whole family unit there. And this is our first powwow that we had in three years. It is so powerful that people that are non-Indigenous need to need to really understand how important it is to us because it's our it's a celebration of our people, it's a celebration of our tradition, and it's a celebration of Mother Earth and what it, she gives back to us. Yeah. So um, can you go to every reserve? No. Tsutsina, uh, you can. You can go to Grey Eagle. You can go to, you know, some of the stores. Um, I know that um, you're welcome to go to those stores, but to be actually asked to go in the reserve, it, you have to know some people, especially what happened at James Smith. People are high security. 
there's yeah. a high security on these reserves right now. For sure. And with good reason, naturally. Yeah. So, okay. Well, Laurie, I just want to say um, thank you so much for taking the time and, and sharing such um, powerful stories with me today. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, just you want to grab your website one more time and, and any other social contacts to get a hold of you. Yeah, it's 7th, 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 genhealing.ca. And they can reach me um, through that uh, site if they would like any healing. Um, I'm going to be starting my podcast and you're going to start seeing it. Also, Lori Shaw on LinkedIn. Um, there's a few Lori Shaws, but you'll see me there is um, Lori Shaw Calgary. And then you, you'll see my face. And we'll link you. We'll, I'll link you in the show notes to, uh, to your profile as well. And um, just a quick reminder, if you haven't already subscribed, be sure to subscribe. Episodes are released approximately one every month. Um, and don't forget to follow Upward Momentum. You can find, find Upward Momentum on LinkedIn. And you can find us on Instagram as well as Twitter with under at Upward Momentum 1. Thanks again, Laurie, and stay tuned for more episodes to come. So a high high means thank you, thank you in Cree. So high high. Kisi Manetal would mean thank you from the creator. 